0: API Intersection podcast listeners are invited to sign up for Stoplight and save up to $650. Use the code intersection10 to get 10% off a new subscription to Stoplight Platform Starter or Pro. Take a look at this episode's description for more details. I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. Uh, I promised I'm trying not to say that we're doing something a little different because I somehow always start off with that, but we somehow always do. Uh, So today I'm just going to say that we have a new and interesting topic to talk about that I'm super excited to get into because it's just the thing that is really important that there, there's hardly anything for, and that's kind of API metrics. Um, I think we've got a lot more that we'll probably fan out into, but uh, I'm really happy to have David O'Neill from apimetrics.io. Uh, thanks for joining us, David.
1: Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: So, uh, David, tell us a little bit about yourself, what uh, API metrics does, and uh, we'll get into it.
1: So, so API metrics, we, we do what we say on the tin. We are an API... Um, metrics generation platform um, very focused on governance and giving the business customer success teams and non-traditional or the the core consumers of apis data on how the apis are performing and giving businesses the tools to actually be able to prove to somebody else how those apis work from a very metrics and data-driven perspective
0: and um What's the kind of very, variance of scale that we're talking about that you're working on kind of monitoring?
1: So we have everything from small developers who have a couple of endpoints for an application they've built, who've set it up themselves and run it, through to some of the largest banks in the world are monitoring. <clears throat> Often they're regulated API stacks. So if you're in a highly regulated environment like UK Open Banking or uh, European Open Banking under PSD2, you want to you have to produce metrics for your regional minister, your regional regulators. You also have internal group comp- risk compliance teams who want to understand that you're what you're providing, what you're providing, what you say you're providing. And those are large teams distributed across multiple continents where we're monitoring their entire API stack from lots of different data centers in lots of different countries and across lots of different clouds. So they have a very clear vision of how things are working, why they might be having a complaint from one third party when they're not getting it from others. And we've, we've learned over, over the, the five five or so years we've been doing this, that your choices of data center, infosec systems and other technologies can have as much impact on the performance of APIs as the architecture behind the gateway in your internal systems. A lot of people have seen once they've cracked the gateway and the performance of backend systems that the cloud takes care of itself. And actually, no, um, we still see DNS as a problem. We still see CDNs have an impact on how things work. We, we see variations even between data centers on the same cloud. That if you're calling APIs from AWS East One, you may get a completely different performance profile than from aws e s two and it's very useful for people to start to understand that because it, it it from a customer support customer success point of view you can't just go back to customers and say no we don't think you, the, your problem isn't real because it might well be, but your internal ops teams aren't seeing it and we're, we're frequently um, I would say we get sort of side-eye from ops teams when we're brought in because it's almost like that we're, you're bringing in the, the, the bank inspector to look at your books or doing an audit. And then when we sort of point out, well, actually, this is what we're seeing and there's a reason why this customer complains more than others and it's that, and they'll go away and look at it and then come back and go, actually, yeah, there is a really weird thing, but it's Google's problem. They'll get on in contact with Google. Google will go and look at the data center and go, oh, yeah, there's a yeah, for some reason there's a – or co- a connectivity thing we, we just weren't aware of. And that suddenly saves half a millise- uh, half a second. Uh, literally, we have one customer who saved a second and a quarter per transaction from a particular data center to a particular endpoint. And even then, if you can't save time, at least if you know a particular endpoint is slow and a little bit unreliable, you can architect around slow APIs. And you can at least let your customers know this API will always take this time from your architecture, but you could do these things in a different sequence and therefore it would hide or, or multi-thread them so that happens in parallel with those and that solves the problems. But unless you've got the data and actual metrics to tell you which are the problem, problem API endpoints, you won't know.
0: So I think the first group of users sounded easier. <laughs> <laughs> That is to say that uh, the business of of kind of monitoring and generating metrics for APIs sounds pretty complicated. Um, I I, I know for me, like the the, the thing that that I've seen over the years that always drives me nuts. And I, I, you know, I love talking to folks who know what they're talking about on this is like, someone goes, you know, we just set up our APIs and whatever it's there. And you go like, well, you know, how are you measuring success on those things? You go, well, we got like a million calls last week. It was crazy. You go, oh. What does that mean? So I'm curious for for you like you know how do customers look at what's important in APIs and do you see that same thing that kind of like the uninitiated lean on call metrics as being something meaningful?
1: Um I it's tricky cuz we we are not yet an observability platform. We will be adding in observability functions next year. And in some respects the as you say the call metrics themselves, the raw number of calls you made isn't necessarily a useful metric. It's, well, what calls were they and what to what endpoints and what were they actually doing? And did they did they work? The, the, the question we ask customers more is, how do you know that all those calls worked? Oh, well, we got 200s back. Great. Are you sure those 200s were valid passes? And then you'll instrument the APIs from a synthetic point of view and actually verify the transactions. And you go, well, hang on. You've got a 4 or 5% of, of 200s that return without the thing you expected to return. Either it's a blank, a blank empty piece of JSON or a critical field is missing. Um, and that's before we get into actually the, 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 wor- the worst scenario that we're starting to build technology to check on is that there are things in there that aren't expected to be in there that are in addition to what you were meant to be sending, like PII. And so, well, okay, so you've passed a million calls, but by the way, you leaked phone numbers in every single one of them, mm-hmm. and that is that 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 comes usually with a bit of a oops moment for a lot of groups they hadn't thought about that, and I I almost blame actually I do blame the way the gateways have been sold to a lot of companies that the gateway is the source of truth because. Um, more data is better if I look at, at, holistically at all of the API calls, it will tell me more than actually verifying that the API products themselves will work in the way we expect them to. And I think we need to see change. I've, I've actually said this for a few years now. We need to see change in how we monitor and how we think about APIs that we focus on the APIs collectively as products and business services and look at how they work and verify all the bits work. There is another tendency, which is to ignore things like HTTP 400 errors. They're somebody else's problem. Um, Douglas Adams used to write about the somebody else's problem field that you could paint a mountain pink, stick the field up, and everyone would ignore it. It's the same with API uh, HTTP 400 errors. They are always a client error, except they could indicate that something's gone horribly wrong with your security in a bad way, and you're getting 400 errors when they should be passes. And other times they could be actually the platform's working exactly the way it's meant to and i kind of blame the, the way we've got the terminology we've built up as an industry around oh well 400s are warnings and i think we need to get away from using the phrase warning in relation to anything they're actually an informational alert if they're not the right 400 but if your tokens expired and you get a 403 that might be exactly what your platform's meant to do and you can say that is a pass my platform's working but then you might need to trigger a second process to say, well, hang on, why, have I, my, why is my token expired if that's not, not expected? And this, this touches onto a whole bunch of systems. We're talking to a number of security companies about this because API security vendors tend to fall into the bucket of looking at all of the data, looking at all the traffic and then drawing conclusions based on the traffic. But what about the traffic that doesn't get to the gateway? because something happened in the network. And what about the traffic that, what, what about actually verifying that the things in security you expect to work are working? I, I, I The analogy I use is you can have a ring cam that looks at everybody coming to your front door, but it doesn't really help you if your front door has been un, left unlocked. And somebody can just walk in and go through your house. And that's the same with a, an API security platform. You can ver- check that nobody's trying to do anything nefarious. But in the case of the uh, Optus hack in Australia recently, it wasn't really a hack. They were just the API was doing exactly what the API was meant to do. It just happened that that was a way of getting access to people's PII, and they just weren't checking that you couldn't call that endpoint and get a two hundred with valid PII back, because they hadn't thought of it or they weren't verifying that actually the doors and windows were locked. And that's the sort of thing that we we want people to be aware of more, which is. It, Trust but verify. If you think you're doing things, don't rely on passive monitoring of all of the data to alert you if something's gone wrong. Actively verify that you're doing the things you say you are in the way that I think there's a a great little meme, which is, you know, dance like nobody's. It was a doctor shared it with me. It was dance like um, nobody's watching, but chart like you're going to have to write is say it in court. (laughs) And... That, that, I think, is something that API product vendor, product suppliers or API providers need to start thinking about, which is you, you, you can't just rely on um, salt or no name or somebody else to say, yeah, I've been, yeah, I'm monitoring your traffic, you don't have any security risks. If you've basically, um, the, the API is working exactly as expected. If you call the, uh, give, me a, give me a list of all of your users, they go, yeah, sure, here it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it occurs to me, of course, uh, across the uh, the can of worms I just opened by asking that question. That um, in one thing that you're saying, but not saying, is like um, that that the logs are full of useful information about what you know what's happening with the APIs, but don't trust it too much. Um, in that, it assumes your own potential design compromises. Um, but I, I guess like. In that scenario, are there folks that made those design mistakes, and that adding monitoring doesn't help because they didn't know they made a mistake in the first place? Uh, you know, are, are you helping sort of find these sort of things that they don't know
1: about? So, yes, uh, and one of the things in our onboarding process is we we make recommendations on well, okay, you're testing this, but you should also look for these things, and we'll be adding in we're adding in more heuristics around. Looking for uh, making negative calls as well as positive ones, which is relatively straightforward to do, but validating that you don't get the things you don't expect to, and that the things you expect to get, you get in the way you wanted them. I think there's there are other classes of failure though with APIs that that people are just not aware of. A- a- APIs have a, a great tendency to fail, excuse me, mm, fail creatively, so they look like they're on, but they're not actually doing anything, and they have a great ability to disguise the actual performance failure modes. We've seen a lot of situations where essentially people are boiling the, boiling a frog, but the API manages to get worse in a perform in performance terms by just enough not to trip any of the monitoring they have. And and one of the one of the problems is using rolling average in rolling averages on various p values. It doesn't help you. If your rolling average gets worse every week by by the same amount, because your system will go, okay, that's fine, that's not a problem. At some point, you actually have to have some absolute stops in place. And we've we've seen APIs get to go from three or four hundred milliseconds to fifteen or sixteen seconds before somebody actually noticed that the API was effectively unusable and timing out all the time. Uh, the the other problem is it's the it's the holistic. We we like to treat the endpoint as a black box. We don't much care. Yeah, Everyone has, as you say, almost too many logs. But unless you know a specific call that didn't work very well, finding that can be days of work, literally days of work. The customer phones up and says, you were really crap on, um, excuse my language, Tuesday afternoon. And you raise a ticket and someone goes in and looks and there's nothing obvious and the averages all look right and the P50 hasn't really shifted. You, you, you're just going to have to close the ticket. The problem, we've seen a problem, we've seen problems where a batch process that does happen on a Tuesday afternoon for two or three hours effectively brings down the service. But because of the way they had their app dynamics system con- internally configured, it, their averages were still not changing because it was baked into the, the metrics. The fact that the cron job slowed everything down to the point where nothing was, was accessible didn't really flag anywhere because the, the threshold they set for uh, becoming a problem was set so high that, and their API was usually so fast, they never got anywhere near the threshold for it to be alerted. And one of the things that we teach our customers is we, we, we're we pack rats, we store every single API call indefinitely with all of the X headers. So you can always go back into your logs and go and check what happened. Because you'll frequently find why did this call take 15 seconds versus. 300 milliseconds, and then you'll be able to, if you actually have a, a, a reference, you can go back in Splunk and you can go and look for it, you go, oh, okay, that, that's a one-off. Where we're evolving ourselves is we want to get more contextual data around the actual API traffic. Uh, as you say, the well, we had 10 million calls at the weekend. It was great. Um, if some of those were slow uh, from particular regions, we we want to be able to know that Five of those are affected by poor performance versus fifty thousand. I mean, and if it's fifty thousand affected by poor performance, that's a bigger problem. That's a higher prioritization for your engineering team than five people are affected. And it's so it's it's getting into that context of when the calls were, what what happened to them, who was affected, and then that's the next evolution I see is more contextual. Um, yes, everything looked good, but you need to focus on these three things, which actually with a problem and that's where ai and ml come into being able to understand these things because humans humans are actually terrible at spotting these patterns we, we're good at spotting when graphs go asymptotic but actually looking for correlating vast groups of data um even at something as simple as you pushed a ci cd change to github on tuesday and 10 days later everything's bad We've we've heard from customers that it can sometimes take them a week to get back to. Oh, uh, that was the last Friday shift. That was what what did it mm-hmm. because that data is stored in different places, and you haven't got the contextual awareness in your API or your in your back end um, APM stacks to understand what's happening across the holistic flow of your APIs. And I think. That's a big change that we see, we, we see coming and people need to do, which is have a holistic view of all of the potential inputs into the API delivery chain, whether it's somebody changed something in their API definitions of a stoplight or they pushed some new code to a server. You need somewhere where you can go and say, oh, okay, that was last Tuesday. Let's roll that back. Because there's nowhere at the moment for that to happen.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit. You You kind of mentioned in the course of this that... I think in a variety of ways that like looking at the bigger picture of kind of a platform versus an endpoint. Um, but I really want to key in that you mentioned um, looking at APIs as their sort of group of endpoints that form a product in a in a way uh, that, you know, this kind of API, uh, API first, API as a product, whatever you want to call it, um, is a thing. I'm curious from a monitoring perspective, you know, if you have a viewpoint in that
1: uh yes i mean at a crude level um we we our product monitors endpoints but what we've, we've come to understand from our customers and what were, one of our big realizations in the last 12 months is people don't want to understand what endpoints are doing to a to a first order approximation the people who pay the salaries of the devs who build endpoints who worry about endpoints don't care they think about is the auth working um do my get balance these endpoints collectively all work are my uh, widgets all functioning the correct way? And in some respects, uh, we've spoken to quite senior managers in large organisations that they they almost want dashboards that are like the good place, everything is fine screen uh, that they can flip between for different clusters of different endpoints doing the same things but possibly in different ways. Because all they're worried about is are all of the services that we supply working the way we expect them to as. Groups of groups of endpoints as a service or a product, rather than yeah, great. The, the the get balance this particular get balance endpoint is working, but there's six over here that are currently underperforming. If they're underperforming, then everything's underperforming. I don't care that these ones are, are working fine. And the the, the the kind of classic view of ops is if you look at the lowest common denominator, you end up missing um, missing the picture. And I think it's it, it. What is needed is this API as a product ability to take what you're monitoring, and the, the way we're approaching it is you'll be able to tag endpoints into products, and then there'll be different ways of reporting the endpoint avail- endpoint uh, availability versus product availability. And then the third group of that is if somebody comes to you and says you have a regulatory mandate to update the data presented by this API every day, can you prove it to me?
0: Yeah.
1: And that's, that sounds like a really easy thing to do. And actually, when you start to drill into it, you go, well, actually, how do I do that? And that's, that becomes the, the challenge that, that we're looking at, which is how, not, how do you just not prove to your own satisfaction that everything is work, the products you supply work the way you expect them to, but how do you ensure all the bits come together to work well? And I think the, the other thing, um, I, I, I'm going to steal this from John Musser. Um, because I love the phrase so much, which is the API. How does the API supply chain work? And the concept of the APIs as a supply chain is something I think people and companies are really just starting to come to terms with. Your endpoint. Is just part of a vast network of things that you may have very little control over. It will be your CDN. It will be the cloud service that your customer is calling from. It will be your gateway. It will be whatever stack you're running your your infrastructure on. And then there will be other components and other technologies that sit in there. Some will be in the critical path, some will not. And it's understanding that in the same way that where do my eggs come from in the supermarket? How do I get what services are. I dependent on for this to work, and we saw this last this this time last year. In fact, we're almost twelve months away from the great AWS Lambda meltdown, and suddenly a bunch of people found they were completely exposed to AWS Lambdas, and had no idea whether it was a- whether it was them or an AWS Lambda, and literally tens of millions of dollars were lost by companies digging around desperately for half an hour to forty five minutes trying to find that out. One of the stats that we've found, and we're, we're planning on launching some services, uh, hopefully before Christmas to help with this, is it takes about 35 to 40 minutes before companies change the status on their status page to problem. And historically, you'll see DevOps by Twitter, where everybody goes on Twitter and say, hey, what's happening with dot, dot, dot. But that 30 minutes is pretty, 30 to 40 minutes is pretty rock solid, and we have track that through multiple systems failures that that is roughly the time it takes for a company to a realize a problem b do the first set of triage to figure out what it is so at least when they admit it to the public and to their bosses they have a, a solution where they can start talking about it that's not good enough that's half an hour of a fire dr- if you're looking at a large company they could have had 50 engineers drop everything and start looking at what the hell's going wrong with their system and 50 engineers times half an hour with all of the opportunity costs of everything they've dropped that they're not going to get back to that day because they're going to be sitting around muttering under their breath about it for the rest of the day. You've probably lost a day across 50 person days, sorry, 50 person days across your organization just because something that you have no control over went down. And I think people are not understanding enough about what are those dependencies what who is running the cdn what does that cdn rely on underneath is it based on lambdas what is the authentication service what is that based on if that goes down can we get around it and we've seen this ourselves with we use uh, a third party auth service ourselves and they go down they have gone down a couple of times various reasons and what we found was we could rearchitect um to not have certain apis in the critical path for the authentication process so people could still log in without having to be dependent on services that broke. And that's the kind of thing people need to come to terms with is, are you securing your your infrastructure against failures that you can be protected against and your brand against failures of things that are outside of your brand's control? And I'd say a third of our customers come from customer success groups who are more worried about the brand protection aspects. If it's not them, they need to be ahead of that. If your system goes down because the service you use to do X isn't working, you need to be able to say that to customers, I'm sorry, X has gone down, and this is what the issue is. And we're increasingly seeing customers wanting to have real-time dashboards of the status of their dependencies as part of the real-time dashboards for their API endpoints. Um, My last point point on this, because um, I think it's – It's something I'd like every senior engineering manager in the world to learn. If you were sold status page as a product that will tell you the status of the services you rely on, you need to understand that it's it's a product that tells you what the service wants you to know, not what the service is doing. It is not a real-time monitoring tool. It is a product that displays information that you put into it. And it's actually Atlassian themselves recommend you do not use it as a real time monitoring tool because it's not designed to be used that way. Mm -hmm. And I think it has been missold by ops teams to their management as a as a way of saying, oh, boss, if we get this, everything is fine. And that's something we need to people need to be very careful of because you could be left literally hanging, wondering why, well, everything's green. Why have we got problems? Because that 30-minute that lag I talked about, 30 to 40-minute lag, that's that's not going away. You're not going to see the real time. And we need to get away from this reliance on people marking their own homework when it comes to availability and services because there is a natural tendency to cheat. Um, maybe, maybe cheat's the wrong word. It's too strong. But there's a natural tendency to... Know that you can fix something before you admit that you've got a problem.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's probably fair to say it's it's easy to underinvest in monitoring stuff and do cheap solutions and not do very thorough uh, checks on status things and stuff like that. So
1: well, uh, there, there was a, a very short-lived and terrible British sitcom about uh, medicine, uh, a hospital. And the hospital administrator in one scene that's always stuck with me was saying, hang on, we've got all these placebos in the store cupboard. They're really cheap. Can't we use them instead of the other drugs? <laughs> and we, we see, we're seeing some pressure at the moment on ops teams to, well, you've got New Relic or you've got dot, dot, dot. Can't you use that to do all your monitoring? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the kind of thing, particularly in a time when you're going to be constrained on headcount. People are going to be pushing back on other things. Now is not the time to start cutting how you monitor things. Now is the time to invest in monitoring things the way that you they are used in the right way.
0: Yeah, because it's innately a labor inefficient thing if you don't. Right, I think it's kind of what yes. you're getting. Yeah.
1: yeah, it, it will it, it, it will catch you, and you will spend a lot of time digging around trying to fix things that you didn't have to, or at least get to the bottom of things. I think that's. It's it's this not not knowing what the dependencies are and not knowing what impact certain things have on other things that you need to be aware of.
0: Nice. Um, I should caveat here a few times. You've mentioned by end of year and things like that. Um, I'm not exactly sure if publishing time uh, we're we're in end of November, but these may be things that by the time it's out uh, are.
1: They should be out there. So if you Excellent. said
0: by next year, it's possible he meant this year. We'll see when it actually comes out. Uh, but uh, I,
1: 2023. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Well, has there been a year strategic. on that. Well, with
0: 2023 23 coming up, uh, as we kind of wrap here, anything you want to kind of uh, share or highlight uh, with our audience about what you guys uh, have coming up?
1: So the big changes that we're bringing out in uh, the early 2023 are the, the concept of APIs as products. With our tool, you can monitor endpoints but our customers are very much focused on what do endpoints mean holistically as in terms of products so we're going to give people the ability to tag and report on the availability and performance of groups of endpoints rather than individual endpoints so that's sort of the api as a product is very much part of our big strategy we will be adding in more governance uh, and compliance tooling so people can actually report um slas uh compliance operational uh, metrics for regulators, all from a platform that's actually monitoring the uh, the systems. And then the final piece that we do wish, we do hope we'll, we'll have out very early in 2023, because it's quite clearly a issue going to other things we've talked about today around knowing what your critical path looks like and knowing what your supply chain is doing. We've seen a lot of changes in technologies like Twitter. People do a lot of work with DevOps by Twitter and we originally thought that that would be the obvious way of delivering information. We're now moving towards um, a a feed-based system whereby you'll be able to integrate to Slack and Teams and even have your own RSS feed for um, availability and performance information on specific public endpoints. We have about 2,000 endpoints we monitor that do different things and you'll be able to sign up for different feeds for different things and if you want to then have it as an SLA for yourself if you use Google WorkSpaces or Office 365, will be providing simple ways for even non-engineers to configure that and track their own SLA from the data center they work on in a, a completely low code way and get their own status feeds and their own dashboards on the availability without needing to learn how actual API auth works because um, nobody really needs to learn how to do OAuth <laughs> Jot token signing for um, for just telling you whether you'll you're getting what you pay for from a company. Day
0: one of the day of the two day hackathon is off. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um,
1: yeah. so so we, we're trying to automate that and make it so anybody who has a client ID and secret for an app would be able to get a get set up and then you'll be able to have your own SLA dashboard that you could share with your vendor and go, well, hang on. This is this is what we do. And we, we see a lot of we see a lot of interest growing from sourcing teams because they're always asking for SLAs and I think they're starting to realize that hang on if someone misses an SLA we have absolutely no idea whether they did or not and if you look at the way a lot of service SLAs are written at the moment it's you tell us if we missed it and then we'll tell you whether we agree nice. and that's not how an SLA ought to work.
0: Yep. well David thanks so much for uh, being so sharing with us and kind of giving us you know all these highlights of your experience I think there's uh, a ton for folks to learn and uh, it's i You know, I think it's a very unique value proposition you guys bring and certainly something folks should take a look at.
1: Absolutely. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to uh, what happens in our next chapter. But uh, it's uh, it's a very exciting time, I think, for the industry. I think we're evolving a lot. And I think I saw a stat that 70 percent of all Internet traffic is now APIs. And I think people are starting to realize that they, they have to be on top of this more.
0: Thanks for listening. If you have a question you wanna ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.